0: Less camera, action! I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Hey. Yeah,
1: this is my get You're listening to the Tom Thicklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. Your home for community radio. Good morning, everyone. Harry, can you hear me? Okay, because I'm I'm not getting as, as much feedback as I normally get. I hear you. Okay, great. Good morning, everyone. and I always want to have that, that technical can you, can you hear me kind of thing going on because it's important as folks listen and tune in with either Facebook Live or kind of listen to our melodious voices, Harry's melodious voice. Mine, you know, whether you like it or not. But we have another melodious voice that's going to join our, our tribe this, uh, this morning, Robert Goodrich from, from RACE. RACE stands for what again? It stands for Radical Advocates for Cross-Cultural Education. Say that again. Radical
2: Advocates for Cross-Cultural Education.
1: I love that because acronyms are important, but also what the acronyms, ac- acronyms stand for is important. Robert's going to, he was, uh, we were just chatting before we went on air. He's been kind enough to kind of join me this morning. There was a conference at the uh, at the Yale Law School, again, not at the Yale History Department or Sociology Department or Medical Department or even Psychiatry Department. Um, but there was a conference at the Yale Law School, the 20th uh, conference actually, on something called Critical Race Theory, I say something called, called critical race theory because that is the, the academic term, critical race theory. But you think of what does critical race theory have to do with law? Law is colorblind. We've seen the statue of, of the lady with the uh, uh, the mask on so that she can render justice impartially. But why, how does race uh, impact uh, the, the legal jurisprudence, the legal system? And quite frankly, even at the Yale Law School, which is, I mean, let's admit it, one of the top five, uh, top three, some of some. Recent studies have talked about Yale being the t- the number one law school in the United States, if not the world. Obviously, Harvard and Yale's law school are kind of the ones that are always on um, people's uh, the, the tip of their tongues. But at the Yale Law School for the 20th annual Critical Race Theory Conference, Critical Race Theory Conference, we're going to kind of walk you through some of it. Robert had a chance to attend. He's been kind enough to kind of share with me some of his insights and to give us some of the highlights of not only the keynote address, but also some of the various panels and the 20th annual critical race theory conference at, at Yale and not just Yale university, but at the Yale law school, Robert, welcome. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here again. And, and again, he he's, I'm glad he mentioned he was, you, I'm glad you mentioned Robert that you're, that this is not your first time because we're, you're going to have to come back a third time. Every, every guest, the you know, third time will be the charm. And, and I say that because I, I'm blessed to have newsmakers on the show. So, uh, and he's up to it a lot, and he's and the organization that he's involved with is really really critical, and it's not going to go away in the next few months. We're going to have the, the need for it increasingly. So the Critical Race Theory Conference at Yale, this was the twentieth one. Robert, you you attended the keynote. Sh- share with me about the. So we're going to talk about the keynote as well as some of the panels.
2: Yes, it's my it's my third Critical Race Conference at Yale. They have it every two year every two years, and just a shout out to Adrian and Katara James who mm-hmm. were the organizers, the law students that did an excellent job of uh, corralling academics and scholars to, to be in one place at, at, at the right time and mm. to provide mm. um, insight and in their uh, professional experiences in regards to a very important issue. So thanks perfect. to the Yale Law
1: School. Perfect, perfect, perfect.
2: So, yeah, Gerald Gerald Torres uh, was uh, would be considered the conference lead mm. and, and, and opened up the conference conference. Um, Gerald uh, wrote a famous book called uh, The Miner's Canary, and he's really a prolific critical race theorist and um, legal scholar and and practitioner. So he's one of my uh, nerd heroes. Mm. So it was really exciting Mm. to actually meet him in person and listen to him speak about uh, important issues. So he really started off the conference with a question um, that was intriguing. And I'll do my best to paraphrase, (laughs) but he led the conference off with, how do we critique without becoming part of the way of knowing we are critiquing mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. which is how do we change a system by working within it um and making sure that there's significant enough change uh, mm. that we work away from the oppressive strategies and tactics of the uh, theories of uh, legal liberalism and white ways of knowing in, here in in the United States so and he was very um focused on driving home the point that we that critique is not synonymous with negativity mm, okay and that it's important as he related a story about how he wrote this book the miners canary with his co-author that they had terrific debates all the time while they were writing it and they challenged each other and that was a way to, for them to build community and solidarity around a very important issue
1: and I, I don't don't want to put words in your mouth because again i was there but are you was he also saying or where you did you interpret that critique that he was saying that critique is not submission Correct. Okay.
2: Correct. It's very important to understand that it's 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 critique on top of everything we we do. Okay. And that allows us to
1: um, actually start the process of liberation. And and in, from your standpoint, and again, I know you're not a lawyer, so I don't want to put you on the on the spot in that regard. But again, this critical race theory was again held in the 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 the, the archives, the confines, of the sacred space, and I have pun intended of the Yale Law School. But why why was that even so important as a keynote to, to, to jump off with that with that thought? with that thought probe?
2: Well, I thought uh, for two reasons, I thought that one, it it automatically grabbed the audience Mm -hmm. and saying that this, we're not going to be able to sit back and relax and just listen to the pundits Mm -hmm. that this was going to be interactive. And that also we were going to see the uh, critical race theorists and practitioners vigorously debate, rigorously debate each other about important issues that are happening in our society today.
1: And, and, and lawyers. So, I mean, obviously we know uh, just, uh, was, I guess, Friday, if, if you were having a cup of coffee somewhere in the United States, and but if, particularly if you were having a coffee, a cup of coffee or attempting to go to a men's room or, or, or something in, in Philadelphia, so we can see how this critical race theory might even kind of impact our daily lives 24-7, 365. Yes, uh, we, but, Starbucks needs a break. <laughs> <laughs> they need a timeout. <laughs> uh, but but so so what did he make? And again, his co-author, I believe, was L- L- Lonnie Gournier? Yes. And, and again, some of you may remember Lonnie, that... Uh, under the Clinton administration, Yale Law School uh, graduate, by the way, and teaches at Harvard and also was taught at the University of Pennsylvania, she was nominated, I believe, for the attorney general position. And uh, Lonnie, during, during her academic days and during her student days, wrote a book, wrote wrote an article rather about essentially that maintained that uh, uh, white people will not vote for, for black people. And that it was a law journal. And so a law journal uh, article that she wrote, and that was kind of used as a reason for uh, really applying pressure to Clinton to w- w- withdraw the nomination of Lonnie for, for attorney general. But, but, but I digress. But so, um, the title of the book again, cause again, this is going to uh, kind of an academic discussion, but people might want to follow up kind of research things. So the title of the book was, it's is the, rather,
2: it's the miners canary enlisting race, resisting power and transforming democracy.
1: And was Guineer there by the way? She was not.
2: She was not. Okay. She was unable to make it, even okay. though she, she was. She apparently she was planned and scheduled to be
1: there. Okay. That, that life kind of kind of throws its tricks its, its tricks at us sometimes. What else do you say before we go to some of the other panels that kind of pr- provokes you?
2: Well, what was very provoking as uh, uh, Professor Torres got into some more of the technical aspects of his experience, uh, including uh, talking about uh, writing in scholarly journals and practicing law here in the United States. He. Simplified it for us and said, we should be seeking to be louder than words, Hmm. that we should be focusing not on uh, the words on paper or what guides us through the legal system Mm -hmm. or our institutions that when we take action, we should try to sort of transcend the words that we're so comfortable with using and describing what it is that we're experienced.
1: And and in your standpoint, what was he saying specifically to to some of the the aspiring lawyers and, and the law students in the audience? Well, I think um,
2: the question being what would, of the conference is sort of what would uh, the future of critical race theory be? Okay. And then that's sort of substantiated, uh, for me anyways, not that I had any doubt, but that critical race theory is the device to be used today to transform our legal system, our institutions. So to
1: write laws, to interpret laws, to, to, to
2: enforce laws, or I, everything? Well, I think when we think about critique, we talk about deconstruction, uh-huh. and at the top of critical race theory, if we're not deconstructing what it is that is in front of us, whether it's individual relationships mm-hmm. and or in our relationships with institutions, um, we become complicit with the daily activities and the
1: malaise of white supremacy and racism. So again, and I'm not here to, to to put words in your mouth, but are you are you saying that the a law book, if I had a law book right here to, 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 uh, to, for us to, to leave through, to look through a particular statute, to look through a particular law that was passed, to look through a particular Supreme Court decision, we could analyze it from a critical race theory standpoint?
2: I think you'd be able to use the tenets of critical race theory to analyze how it is that it has be, uh, a particular law either creates oppression or um, sustains what's currently going on. Uh, in terms of the oppressive structures that we
1: experience on a daily basis. Boy, I mean, that, that's impressive. Again, you listen to the Tom Ficklin Show, and if you've just joined us, uh, we're discussing the, the, the 20th annual twentieth co- conference uh, that was held at Yale University, uh, the law school in particular, a few weeks ago, maybe about four or five weeks ago. Um, and Robert Goodrich was kind enough to kind of be there and to kind of give us, to, to kind of unpack it for, for us from his perspective, as well as from from some of the audience members' perspective. I'm glad you mentioned, Robert, that it was the 20th, but it's but it's held... Every two years, which means forty years ago, this critical race theory issue came was was, was introduced. Hey, I'm not a mathematician, but every every two years is <laughs> yes. the twentieth. So that's that's impressive again for people to know critical race theory because we know about implicit bias now that you hear in the in the in the car- common in, in the common language for uh, really repeatedly over the last year and it started a few years ago uh, and we know about the mass incarceration with various books, but critical race theory, if you kind of research it, I think you can kind of see that it the offspring of this critical race theory that, again, was kind of institutionalized 40 years ago. There's been offsprings in, in, different, in additional derivations, but also very, various connections. But again, you're saying that the legal system, regardless of how we define it, whether in the minute detail, in the micro, or in the macro, that race and color and class has impacted and uh, affects how we even implement laws. Is that... Absolutely. And I think for us to... Uh- as citizens
2: of, of of any community to think that laws and policies or regula- regulatory um, wording is not built upon white supremacist language, because that's the history mm-hmm. of America, mm-hmm. that um, we would be fools to believe
1: that there's any chance for uh, liberation and freedom from... Boy. Boy, I, I do appreciate you saying that. You, you, we hear often on radio, and again, one of the beauties of WNHH and the New Haven Independent, even just the name New Haven Independent, what Robert and I are expressing d- does not express the views of Paul Bass, the New Haven Independent, or Harry, but we <laughs> have the license, and, and I use that term literally uh, through the, uh, the FCC and Slow Power uh, Station, to really be, be outspoken and free with our language and our, and our points of view. So again, I always like to take the opportunities, Robert, to kind of give out, give a shout out to Paul Bass and the New Haven Independent crew and uh, WNHH in terms of providing this this platform. Uh, because as we know, media often is uh, instrumental in how we perceive societal structures, societal expression, societal censorship, societal creativity, and it's a pleasure to kind of be here with you this, this morning. One or two other points that, that you may have made before we go to perhaps some of the other, the other workshops.
2: Well, I, I think that it's very important that we take critical race theory in terms of a, a white middle class male. Mm-hmm as a way to reimagine the world in which I engage Mm. to critically take a look at the way I'm situated um, with my personal relationships with schools, with police officers, with the board of aldermen, uh, with Congress, and then go back and say, um, and develop a cognizance of my whiteness and white privilege. And from that turning point, becoming racially cognizant of, Mm -hmm. of my identity, I can then go ahead and uh, fully appreciate and even at times um, take the challenge of trying to erase some of the things that currently exist in our systems. So it's just as important, Mm. not just for people of color to be aware and to practice the tenements of critical race Mm -hmm. theory, but it's extremely important for white people. And that's one of the things that race that we've constructed is a racial competency or cultural competency training program that
1: starts with developing racial consciousness for white people and understanding their racialized mm-hmm. identity. So, so for, for all folks, I mean, if you're, if you're walking and breathing and want to be a, a, a contributing citizen to society and uh, again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin show and Robert Goodrich Goodrich is with us, a uh, co-founder of race. And so, so let's jump a little bit to uh, as a sidebar to, to, to what you're involved with in terms of race then we'll come back to some of the other panels as well because because you kind of I think indicated what, what your what some of your passion is and, and why attending this uh, uh, 20th conference on critical race theory was not just a, an academic exercise but it really is was part of ammunition and, and, and information and energy in terms of what you do 24 7 365
2: no it's very important to recognize these type of uh, ag- events that are exemplars and and, and really Thanks to Yale and the good people here in New Haven that they have a lot of these types of events. It's a way for activists and advocates and even agitators to sort of get refueled and to actually do some self-care and to prevent the cycles of abuse of having to deal uh, with the fatigue of going up against a system that is very belligerent and on unresponsive to our efforts. So, so,
1: so te- tease us a little bit, Robert, about race and what you're up to and, and how we kind of, how you're building that community and, and that cohesion and, and the synergy and just the, the re inspiration and the re energizing of folks that want to fight, fight the, the, the good fight. So let me shout out Shantae Campbell and uh, now Arlene
2: uh, Garcia, my, my two co-founders. Mm-hmm. Um, two, they're the, they're the deep thinkers and okay. they're the, uh, part of the organization that is really the backbone and and, and I carry out their directives. Amen. Amen. So, well, we take a, a a very, uh, simple approach where we do, uh, match data analysis to the social cultural phenomena that we know that exist in schools in our community and then promote solutions and often sometimes not radical ones, but, to change the way that schools interact with students and parents and even the educators. So, we focus on three issues. We want to build racial congruency in the classroom. So, we more, want more black and brown teachers in the classroom. We want to eliminate exclusionary discipline policies. policies so, no school suspensions, mm-hmm. only for the most violent offenses would we accept the use of out of school suspension. And then we also want to be able to make sure that teachers um, are provided with the best type of professional development that provides them with the complexities uh, to deal with the modern urban student, and also to project um, liberatory frameworks, anti-racist education styles in classrooms, as opposed to the traditional white Eurocentric views of banking and testing,
1: etc. So, well, I mean that that's 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 good, and, and you know that's that's well, but but tease us a little more. You, had, I believe you had an event. Was it November, December? And and so tease us with some of the things that make make us feel bad about some of the things we missed and then some of the things we can kind of get involved with moving forward. So um, besides our agitation, because we're very
2: confrontational when we see oppression or we see um, uh, really uh, things that are vibrantly unaddressed and uh, have long existed in our school district in Waterbury, Waterbury. what we, we also want to provide our community a sense of um, wholeness. So, back yeah. in December, we decided um, to get together with a couple of our partners, uh, Chime Morales James from My Reflection mm-hmm. Matters. I think you
1: have her book here, I think. Yeah, I think
2: I saw it. Mm-hmm. He just uh, co authored the ABCs of the Black Panther Party, but she has a long uh, career uh, that she's been working on in providing uh, culturally responsive education through NYU and now here back in Connecticut. And then our friend Kate Marcel from Lotus Counseling. Mm-hmm. So where we got together teachers, parents, and students mm. for two days at Naugatuck Valley Community College. And we focused on advocacy, learning anti-racist educational strategies, mm-hmm. and also um, providing them an opportunity to learn a little bit about how do we take care of ourselves
1: through wellness mm. and meditation. And do you hope to kind of, was that a one-off as they say, or you do you have upcoming events either for the remainder of? 2018 or even into 2019.
2: No, the, really the third leg of race is to, to build community. Mm -hmm. It's something that we haven't been really, really, really good at. So part of what we have dedicated ourselves to do is, make sure we provide community events, learning opportunities mm-hmm. and interactions, not necessarily at this grand of a scale all the time, but mm-hmm. we plan to make it a routine effort three
1: or four times a year to do outreach Excellent. and to provide services and, or just our support for our community. So if folks want to find out and kind of connect and, and, and contribute and, and support, how, how would they go about that?
2: Hey, we can go to uh, our website, which is racCE.net race.net. We're up on um, Facebook and, and Twitter as well at racewater at race W T B Y. But, um, we have a business model where we, uh, don't rely upon, uh, necessarily donations. Okay. But if you, or, or grants, we're, we're a self-funded small organization. Mm -hmm. And, um, if, but if you do want to support us, you can make a tax exempt donation uh, at race.net. Perfect. Perfect. So we would, uh, certainly, uh, outline how we would use your money very specifically and, uh, and, some,
1: and again i love love the name of your, of your organization, and so the acronym stands for radical advocates for cross-cultural education perfect perfect so you're listening to the tom ficklin show and we' we're, we're talking talking about uh the critical race theory conference that was held at yale Yale university law school and how it really applied to to aspiring lawyers to, to students there at the law school but also it gets to to the general public how you have have laws and whether you're a practitioner or whether you're incarcerated or whether you're you pay taxes. We're all kind of affected by whether you have to uh, get a driver's license or whether you have to pay insurance. There's ways that the laws the, the legal system, impacts you r- ridiculous. And as you've kind of mentioned, be it regulation or lobbying or or acts or uh, executive orders or or even elections. For dare dare I say elections, uh, it, it's important to kind of keep in mind that that uh, this this critical race theory may be just a theory, but we see. Uh, some manifestations of the impact of, of, of racism, even wherever we look, whenever we go to sleep or whenever we wake up, what was, what was the next, the next workshop that, that you attended?
2: The next panel was fantastic.
1: A or, or panel rather.
2: It was uh queer of color politics, mm-hmm. queer of color politics. And it really talked about the importance of uh, infusing critical race theory into um, queer theory okay, and moving beyond the, performative nature of that binary of non-conforming sexual identities uh, and also uh, moving one of the um, sort of reveals that chandan Reddy uh, posited was that we need to move beyond um, the idea that since we have state-sanctioned um, same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. that there's actually been progress that's been made. Okay. And we uh, we need to move beyond the idea of uh, queer theory as being just a way to um, talk about the performance of non-conforming uh, sexual identities, but also a way to actually shift the burden of the system away from the people who are most vulnerable. So we need to actually do, in, in many ways, dress differently, talk differently,
1: um, change up the schedule, sort of flip the script. Well, okay, now I got I got to push back. So, some of us might not have interpreted or understood completely more than 30% of what you just said. <laughs> and I might, and Harry, I'll pick on Harry, might not have understood maybe 10%. I've understood five. If I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to try to paraphrase in one sentence. Are you, are you saying that, you, that pro, that acts of privacy should not be politicized? I think we should move beyond that. That we should move beyond your personal lifestyle, fashion, pr- predilections, interest. interests, should, should not be, uh, uh, stereotyped. Well, I think that one, that there are significant
2: threats that built to people's, uh, physical safety, economic security, um, their feeling of wholeness and wellness based on stereotypes. So if we allow the state to continue to homogenize or to normalize, uh, in the essence of state sanctioned, same sex marriage, um, what it is that our true identities are, the more we buy into,
1: um, okay, so so, so 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 push so push back push back to me because this this is a, a not necessarily convoluted but a, but it's and it gets back to critiquing and how you impact the system. So to recognize the difference, but not to penalize the difference. Absolutely. So to recognize, but not penalize. Correct. Um, to appreciate and not and not denigrate. No, that's really. Uh, is that was. Yeah, moving beyond that—that that
2: binary. Okay, okay. Uh, beyond the beyond the either or. Right. So we don't need the legitimacy or consent from the state. Okay. To actually be, be who be who, 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 we, who are. we are. So in so far that um the state acknowledging same sex marriage is a great thing. It still seems to give the state the
1: power. We're still yielding a lot of our power back to the state. To the state. See, and th- this is fascinating. This, let's just linger on that for a second. Again, you listen to the Tom Ficklin show. We're talking about uh the critical race theory conference that was held at the Yale Law School. This is the 20th annual, but it's held every two years. So literally the critical race theory, the first one, and shout out to the law school students at Yale at that time. I should have researched some of the students that were involved with the, the, the original organizers um, uh, 40 years ago and very few conferences at Yale, particularly in the law school can kind of take place without a, a, a faculty member support or encouragement, not to say that students can't do anything that's against the uh, faculty uh, desires, but oft, but most often, there's a faculty member or two that really are kind of the student mentors to kind of bring bring things to light. So the critical race theory, but so on, on this 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 point, this point is key as we move we move forward in terms of of uh, blended families and and transgenders and and bathroom access and and you guess you name it and participating in the uh, armed forces in terms of the, the, the fight fighting unit based on, based on your sex. So. So say some more about this, about moving beyond this binary, because this is intriguing. Well,
2: I, I think that what's in, in, important to recognize is that um, when I, I speak from a position of privilege, okay, right, my lifestyle is normative. I'm white. Okay. I'm, I'm heterosexual. I get all those privileges, and I don't have to uh, walk down the street or go into a business or attend a class or have a client and to wonder if they're going to judge me based on who I am as a white mm, male. mm, mm. So when we're thinking about that second panel, uh, and it, there was also Catherine uh, Frankie and Russell Robinson, they talked about moving outside of that binary of sexuality and gender, as well as uh, critical race theory pushing us beyond that binary of white and ah, black. So ah. so it, and I think Gerald Torres made it very clear to us that it's white on top,
0: mm-hmm.
2: normative on top, and then everything is below it. And that we need to actually flip that. Mm -hmm, And we need to get outside of those binaries that really
1: trap us into. The simple ways that's, of communicating that, and that's a fascinating i mean that that's that's and and we hear white white nationalism saying exactly in, in a sense what you're just saying that because of the threats to our being on top we have a, we have a certain response to uh not necessarily liking it we're going to respond so it's fascinating to so say some more say some more no this this actually
2: played out last week
1: in, okay and we know okay. we know of an individual
2: who was working at the the state legislature and actually had a state legislature say hey i need a uh, in response to this uh, uh, very um, powerful, uh, inspiring young woman who was wearing a, a, a certain type of pin?
1: Yes, yes. So, so let, let's digress. So, so Arvia Walker, Planned Parenthood lobbyist, she had a pin on that her pin said, What it, um, uh, it didn't say, Support Black Lives Matter. What, what do you call what her pin? It was specifically,
2: I, I don't know the exact wording of, of the pin, but it had to be about letting black women actually lead. Yes, and, and yes. I, I stand and with black women.
1: I, I stand with black women, and R.V. Walker and uh, State Senator Fontana uh, yep. responded glibly that you should. What, what did he say? That he should have his own pin saying, that, you know, support white men. Indeed, and, that, and that's not tipi- That's not really unusual. We know that people think that, but he, ha- but he is a. Uh, he was a state representative before he became state senator. He sent has he has since so-called allegedly a. a he has publicly apologized and has talked about having community meetings. But as you say, in twenty eighteen, for him to have to for him to res, for him to respond that way to a lobbyist, you know, it's, it's different if you're just in a bar or something. But for him to, to respond to a lobbyist and think that he could do it with impunity, with impunity, with, with impunity, and not, and not for it to blow up and to kind of put her in her place, whether he meant it jokingly or not. But in addition to him representing, yes, he represents part of Weathers. He represents, uh, as you know, many of the state senator, uh, state representative districts kind of cover different municipal, more than one municipality. So he represents part of Hartford. He also represents part of Weathersfield. But for him to say it, be it even just glibly to a lobbyist, where Arvia is, uh, he he may or may not even know. It might have been his first time even laying eyes on Arvia, although she's been Arvia Walker from Planned Parenthood, although she's been in the state capitol uh, many times. That's, that's her jo- one uh, part of her job description. But for him to say it glibly uh, to a lobbyist and whether it's even jokingly, it, the, the, the hurt is still there and the meaning is still there. So he has since apologized. He says he's going to have some community uh, meetings to kind of bring this to any, uh, to apologize for his insensitivity. But again, it relates to what you this, this critical race theory issue.
2: Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that one, um, I know Arvia via could speak for herself mm-hmm, indeed. On, on this issue. Uh, I'll, let me speak. To, and she said
1: she says, she said op-eds in the current, by the oh. way, then I'll, I'll, I'll put the, i put those links up, but I'll oh. speak
2: to the, the, the fragile psyche of most white males, okay. inclu-
1: including myself. I can't do that, so you got to do it. <laughs> so no, I
2: mean, strategically, that's what we've chosen at race, is that I'm going to be the one. All right. you know, Shantae and Arlene say, I have, I have superpowers. I can, go, <laughs> I can go speak to white people about these issues and not uh, experience the same risks that they do the professionally and personally. Good point. Good point. So, and, uh, but it indicates how weak as an individual his psyche is and how fragile um, his racial identity is. And that makes him dangerous as a legislator, when we know that his bias is free flowing
1: like that. So uh, whether he's on the judiciary committee or commerce committee or educational committee, or whether he's voting on bills, you're saying that could impact his decision-making. It, it it obviously does. And
2: I can, pr- and I can't provide specific examples of the legislation that he supported, but just the fact that um, he felt comfortable enough in that building, in that building where they make the laws to, to, To um, subtly express that he's in control as a
1: white male over a black female is... The essence of institutionalized white supremacy again, and I, and I want you to repeat that because again, guess context is is really important. I mean, we have the context of the Starbucks situation in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but in the legislative office building where people are really walking by you, they're close, and people are really listening to everyone else because it's really it's kind of a what are people saying? You're not you're not spying, but you're there to kind of collect information, share information, listen, see who's moving and shaking, see who's indicating, nodding, and for him to, as you say, to feel comfortable in saying that in that public setting. To a lobbyist, where anyone could have been passing through, even a newscaster at that point, because guess so elaborate. Even well, if even if you just repeat what you just said, well,
2: I so white supremacy or racism just is not the men in the white coats that burn crosses. Mm-hmm. It exists in the deepest part of every white person, um, and at times, um, if we put in the effort, we can check it. And if we get the support of people of color to actually work through those um, obstacles, we can then go ahead and be an uh, an active in, uh, inhibitor. Or uh, we can defeat our own bias as we're working through tough, stressful times. Mm. And when mm. we notice when white people um, are in those stressful situations, like up at the legislature. It's Indeed. Very, good, good
1: point. V- the, the context, that's right. That's very, very right. stressful. That's that, right. That that's right. is when um, we true, let the true colors. My... Absolutely. And and you're you real we well. Talk about the stress because if you are a state rep or a state senator, you know the people are going to be if if perhaps bomb if not bombarding you, approaching you, and you it's like walking through a gauntlet. sometime. and as you say, he could have, he could have been under stress, but nonetheless, for it to kind of emanate that that, that way. And and I'm looking forward to us, by the way, walking um uh, in his shoes. You know, he wants us to do that, so let let's do that. What well, well, mm-hmm. I, I tell you uh,
2: for me, anyways, and some may think that this is radical, but this is a good time for him to choose to step down and yield his power of the position that he has to a person of color and make sure that um, there's proper representation for that Hartford and Wethersfield district, because um, having a person uh, in that position of power to alter or to influence legislation um, is the ultimate
1: feeling of doubt and dread uh, for a person who works actively in the community mm. for justice and fairness. And there have been, uh, there was a guest editorial in the Hartford current to. Actually, uh, as you say, the man requests his resignation. And again, we can. All, and speaking about the, we're talking about this Tom Ficklin show, and Robert Goodrich, Goodrich is with us, and we're talking about the critical race theory conference that was held at Yale, the 20th annual. But again, law also pertains to free expression. So he's entitled to his, So someone would argue that it's his free expression, his entitlement to kind of express his views, his uh, being, his wanting to be viewed as a particular person. We were talking about before about not categorizing, not not stereotyping people. Uh, and having freedom of expression, so from his standpoint, his lawyer could could say that he was just expressing his freedom, and you know, and in, in his perception, and his attempt actually it, it to uh to 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 seek and solicit empathy from another person. Interesting point. <laughs> I thought, I thought you, but but but, but and, and I I go there. I guess so. When we go to these. When we go to the the, the uh, 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 when you read about Supreme Court decisions or if you go to your superior court, if you go to your local court and you see lawyers arguing about things and discussing things and then a judge has to decide these are sometimes not, not simple, simple issues. I often suggest to people, regardless of whether you what your ideological perspective is or whether you consider yourself to be a Democrat, or Republican, just read any Supreme Court decision. But but particular, read any Supreme Court decision where it's a 5-4 vote. We have five justices that decide that it's this way and four decide that it's another way. That kind of indicates to you that even in terms of our most, uh, nothing is all is, is black and white, it seems. And so five, four decisions at the Supreme court level are very illustrative of where America, America is going as well as when decisions get reversed, such as Plessy versus Ferguson versus Brown versus board of education. Let's jump Listen again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin show and Robert with the time kind of flying by, but again, you committed to coming back. Uh, I think we have two more panels that we might want to touch upon
2: yeah I think that the um panel two uh, was about race and class where um there was uh again a, a, an opportunity to discuss how to uh, a fusion movement uh, to make hmm. sure that critical race theory uh would not be uh excluded from the, the issues of of class and the anti capitalist movement and that um one of the interesting things that happened hmm. on this panel is that one of the, uh, I think it was Brockmeyer, professor Brockmire mm-hmm. got up there and actually talked about the influence that white women had over the election of Trump mm-hmm. and that, um, she actually, um, not subtly, but raised the, the issue of, they played an important role of getting Trump elected, mm-hmm. but we also see uh, how important they might be. Well, she, she said that I mm-hmm. did not, mm-hmm. that, um, she thought that they could be important parts to, um, Leading the anti-Trump movement, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. cited some examples. Um, that was a controversial and would have been an, a a highly contested debate from in terms of my perspective. But
1: well, let, 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 let's engage
2: it. We, we, well, can, I, we I, can
1: engage it now with her. We'll I, we'll send her the audio file and we'll, we'll ask her to respond.
2: No, I think that um, when we're trying to change systems, we have to, uh, as Professor Torres started it off the, the mm-hmm. conference, we have to be aware that are we recreating uh, the, the the same conditions that caused the problem in the first place. Mm. So, not to say that a uh, political voice for, for white women should not be heard, um, but in, in this case, we should be well aware of uh, their role in electing Trump, mm-hmm. and that we shouldn't uh, center the notions of white middle class femininity at the uh, center of the resistance movement to Trump. Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm. now, so you, so your 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 rejoinder would be, I guess to do, give value and, and credence to the, to the to the to the black women liberation movement. Yeah, I think we should follow black women. Okay, I think that. Okay. Um, not being one well myself, I mean I can't say, but no, but, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Tom's <laughs> got me cracking up here.
2: Um, no, I think that the, uh, the leadership is there, the intellectual capital is there. Mm-hmm. It's about ceding power. It's about actually giving up what we have um, as white males and white
1: females. Ah, so to, so, to so black so, leadership. So so we we started off talking about Torres about the, the the white icing on the cake. You saw this lady to be still substantiating that that, she, that the white people still need to be the baker.
2: Yeah, I think that it was it was very dangerous. It was oh. it was actually I think it was uh, one of the contradictions that often often come up in ideology or theory, mm-hmm. and that um, we have to be, uh, you know, be be ardent about rejecting mm. those mm. types of contradictions mm. when we're talking about uh,
1: living in this resistance movement. And, and let's let's give a shout out to her for making that statement in that context. Perhaps even knowing that she was would be, if not in the minority, that there'd be resistance. And that's the reason I love, love the show and i love to have you on and, and other folks on where, again, people may consider me to be an, to be an a, a academic egghead, but I believe that <laughs> wh- whether whether you listen to my show or whether you go to school or whether your friends are in universities or colleges or at the job or at the water cooler, these issues and these ideologies and these thoughts and these philosophies and these ideas and these tensions are just ruminating like crazy. They're brewing every day. And the media, of course, helps to kind of ex- exponentially uh, perhaps even disseminate the, this, this virus of poison of, of, mm. of civil dissent. On the other hand, media can be used to kind of heal and, and, and nurture and, 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 it, and enable us to kind of see ourselves in another, another person's shoes. Uh, so, so it's really important uh, that we, in my mind, that, uh, that I have guests on the show who are really committed to doing, doing the work as they perceive it and being open and honest to people responding to you. So if someone has listened to something, Robert, and they want to kind of share with you a, a critique or a suggestion or a comment or, or something that they don't agree with that they've heard, how, how can they reach you? Well, they can get a hold
2: of me, uh, through our, uh, our, our website. We have a contact sheet. Uh, you can also email me at info at race.net and address it to me, mm-hmm. not to Arlene or, or mm-hmm. Shante. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we'll sit down and we'll, we'll be more than welcome to actually, uh, attend an event that you're hosting. Mm-hmm. Um, have some discourse and dialogue, albeit uh, you know I'm a former debate coach mm-hmm. uh, at the collegiate level, so that's mm-hmm. something that I like to do. Mm-hmm. And but it also has to have a, a sort of a, a a finite, you know, some really specific guardrail. So I'm a, I'm willing to engage people on controversial issues, especially about class
1: and gender and race. Perfect, so. perfect. Uh, the, the next panel, if if we would consider,
2: yeah, I think that um, this was probably the most important panel for me. Okay, and uh, we had a pan- it was about it was titled immigration and imperialism mm-hmm. and how that uh, imperialism is not an, uh, an outward facing dilemma anymore and that it's manifesting itself
1: through the new process of crimigration, as was positive by uh, some of the panelists uh, uh, so, i mean boy so i mean we we know about manifest that de- we heard you may have heard the term manifest de- destiny often you hear but you might you may not have heard the phrase recently but you, we used to have this phrase that the sun never sets on the british empire uh we know about the elimination of, of the Quinnipiac people and the Naugatuck people mm. and the, and we, we, we always hear about the Arapahoes and the, uh, and, uh and, and folks, the native American tribes in the, in the, in, in the West and the Southwest. And, the, but, uh, again, Naugatuck, uh, Quinnipiac, uh, Golden Hill, Pegasus, we it's start it started right here, not to mention the, the two casinos that, that, are, that we are, are on their land <laughs> So, we, so, uh, but you're suggesting that this is still taking place. Absolutely. So um, as was revealed, uh, even at a much
2: deeper, more technical level in the conference, is that so we have a state of decarceration that mm-hmm. was uh, really brought in um, by Obama and for all uh, Malloy's critics here in even Connecticut. So that has left the void in the prison industrial complex. So there's actually not as many bodies that are being profited off of in our current mm-hmm. criminal justice system. Mm-hmm so what is, uh, the tides have turned and now that um uh, even though obama accelerated certain deportation strategies and was um actually more prolific at this point deport order of uh the undocumented than trump was but um we all know about 45 and mm. his agenda mm. but that um now we see uh, immigration system turning into a crimigration and whether mm. mm. uh criminalizing mm. in different ways um and not observing the rights that uh, are supposedly within this theory of liberal uh, legalism mm-hmm. that everyone has rights and everyone should be afforded the, the opportunity of representation mm-hmm. and bail mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. or a jury of their peers to mm-hmm. be, um, that's not happening now. Mm. So they talked about this Jennings case that was recently ruled upon and that now they're able to hold people who are undocumented in detention facilities for uh, an indefinite amount of mm. time. Mm. And that there are plans now to raise those detention facilities. They're no longer considered prisons or jails. Uh, and the number of beds in there um, tenfold, mm. uh, I think they said, from
0: mm-hmm. 40,000 mm-hmm.
2: up to mm-hmm. 400,000. Mm-hmm. So now we have a no a whole new pool of bodies that are being marginalized and
1: used as uh, ways to, to profit off of um, their suffering. And, and those of you that have just listened to what Robert has said, there's been a lot of conjecture as well as assertions in the media about this re re uh, imprisonment, uh, of other immigrants, particularly just in terms of the, the bed space being, 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 uh, repurposed the, the repurposing of the bed space. So whether you agree or disagree, I really a- urge you and challenge you to do a little research, call, email me, re, re, uh, email Robert for more information, but this has come up. We, it, it, this has been repeated in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the marketplace. And sometimes, yes, there is fake news, but this particular assertion uh, has, has has been repeated so often, one thing tends to think that it is happening. Uh, but again, challenge yourself, challenge, ask some of you if you might have some friends that work in the in the court system or legal system, or your state rep or your state senator. But the repurposing of our of our and the and the redefining and and the reincarceration and the recapturing uh, and the recriminalization of, of some of our citizens and, and and people folks that that are here. Uh, um, due to the economic and, and terrorism is, issues, it, it's something to really to be, be able to be to be, able to be be on the alert to.
2: No, it's a new form of imperialism. Mm-hmm. We're, we're witnessing it now. And mm-hmm. shout out to the good people um, at at Iris and Care and Ula mm-hmm. and the people here um, in, in New Haven that are really leading the charge uh, to combating uh, this recrimination of of people here in, in
1: Connecticut. I so. really appreciate your, 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 your giving the shout out to, to the local organizations. Cause yeah, go, go, go to the source. You may hear something in the news and it might sound far fetched, ludicrous. It might be too, you may not want to believe it, but, but check out Iris, go, go to, go to other places that are involved with, with refugee re- resettlements, even your city hall. I mean, in terms of the Puerto mm-hmm. Rico situation, we have people that were, that, uh, that have had to come here to the, to Connecticut. Uh, but, but at any rate, uh, we're, we're kind of winding down, I uh, wanted to jump for a second to again with Robert Goodrich and the name of your organization. It's Race Radical Advocates for Cross Cultural Education. I guess love you, love you saying that. There was a bill that you and others were involved. With. I mean, there. I think it was a bill that you and you and others were involved with at the at the state level that I think kind of relates to the critical race theory issue that everything mm. can be impacted by how we perceive the world, how, what our biases and prejudices and our external and implicit biases might be. And tell us a little bit, perhaps, about that. So
2: um, I'm standing on the shoulder of giants on this issue. So we're talking about uh, uh, Senator Dyson back in the 2008, 2009, 2010 era, talking about Senator Gary Winfield and uh, Subira Gordon and her team at the Commission on Equity and Opportunity are really uh, steadfast in um, plenty of other state senators and state reps of trying to provide uh tools that legislators can use to measure the impact mm. uh, through a racial equity lens. Mm. So
1: this should for every bill.
2: Every, it it should be for every bill. Mm-hmm. It should be for every bill. If we're going to be race that, conscious
1: that every, every that can have a a racial and equity impact.
2: Sure. I mean okay. from 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 housing to education to f- the funding street sweepers and economic development, commerce, public health, um you know shout shout out to Dr. Everett at uh, at HES Health Equity Solutions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um Tanisha, yes, I have to get have to get her on. I'm glad you yeah, met Oh, you got to get her on. Mm-hmm. She's,
0: mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm.
2: I'll follow her anywhere. So, yes. Um. So this issue, uh, we actually have a racial, uh, ethnic impact statement that's in place just for limited re- use in the Judiciary Committee. Now, in two thousand and eight, it was passed in the law. Um, unfortunately, um, it, it only deals with if a bill is going to impact the number of beds in the penal institutions mm-hmm. here in the state of Connecticut, and
1: it's never been used. Mm. When you say that. Not implemented, not enforced, not applied. Well, during our research, mm-hmm. my research,
2: I tried to get a copy of any of the racial equity impact statements that the uh, the state legislature uh, the office of legislative research has um, produced. I was unable to find that through the okay. l- legislative library. Okay, so finding that and realizing, wow, we have this very valuable tool for this small amount of population yes. here in the state of Connecticut, um, and we don't use it, and that and it, it's not used for a variety of reasons. Indeed, but, indeed. So. This, this year, um, we felt that it was necessary to introduce a bill, it's SB 256, mm-hmm. that would allow the use of racial equity impact statements um, for any bill by any legislator mm. uh, if requested. Mm-hmm. And that would allow us to use um, the ideas and tenements of critical race theory in the building of legislation that uh, doesn't sustain current oppressive systems. But actually, uh, starts the process of of liberating the uh, the oppressed and, and the most vulnerable in our communities through that
1: oh, lens. Boy, this 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 again, you can see why you 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 have to be, be a regular a re- regular guest. You, and you know, bring bring your crew with you, some of your colleagues, because you sometimes being that that pioneer, we don't want the, the arrows to get in your back. You yes, know, well. and have some sort of protection. Again, you're listening to the Tom Fickle Show, and as we kind of wind down, Robert Goodrich is with us, one of the co-founders of. Radical advocates
2: for cross-cultural education.
1: And, and, uh, Robert, as we conclude, I want, want to, want to give you the, give you the last word, but let's give a shout out if we can. I believe you, you posted something on my page. Core Connecticut core is having an an advocacy day. Yes. Uh, Issa and and Kamel at CT
2: core organized now, um, have done some really good work here in Connecticut. And it should be recognized even more as a model of of taking action. So they're um, they're going to have an advocacy day Mm -hmm. um, where they're not up there focusing on a specific piece of legislation, but the people that they've partnered with, uh, like race and myself, Mm -hmm. uh, who have been through their year long or multi year process of building a racial justice platform, will get a chance to introduce their ideas and even um, legislation that's currently being debated, and to let people know what's band together yes. for racial yes. justice. And yes. that's happening April 19th, April 3, 19th at the legislative office building. Um, you can go um, to their website and, and, and register for CT core, mm-hmm. CT core uh, org, I
1: believe it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be mad at me. And, and they have out. a Facebook page. Yep. And do you recall what date, what day of the week is April 13th, April 19th? I think it's Wednesday, but, but you they can, they can track that down.
2: Yeah. Today is the No, that's Thursday. Right. So what's today? Today's the 16th. So 17th. Yeah, it's, so, so Thursday, it's, yeah, it's, Thursday it's, it's morning, 10, 10 to three, it should be a fantastic opportunity, not just for citizens, fellow advocates, but I expect to see a lot of state reps and state senators there because that's where um, the work needs to be done. Indeed. And, and if we'll see what their commitment is to racial justice by uh, who attends so if Senator Fanfar is still uh, in this position, I expect him to be there to sit silently,
1: <laughs> take some notes and be observant of, uh, of what it's like to be in, in, in the resistance <laughs> movement. You're a mess. Issa, Issa and Camille, they were, were honored by Quinnipiac yes, university that the, the black law school students uh, with, with the Thurgood Marshall award, a few few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to, to photograph that and the photo document that shout out to the black law students, mm. law school students at, at uh, Quinnipiac and professor Marilyn Ford and, and Michael Koskoff also received an award. So it's really important. There are advocates, there are abolitionists, there are freedom fighters, there are concerned citizens, there are suffragettes, whatever word you want to use, there are people that are concerned about the state of the world. And, 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 uh, uh, Robert is a perfect example in his, his, his colleagues and, and his band and his tribe. And, and whether, whatever tribe you kind of ascribe yourself to be, to be in, there's a, there's a time for tribal unity as well. We need tribal Mm. unity. So, uh, Robert, thank you. You're going to come back. Harry, thank you. Paul Bass, thank you. And again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show. And uh, tune in next week. And then tune in for the rest of the week in terms of WNHH. The, the guests and the hosts and the programs, I think, are really, really insightful. For, from, from beer to food to, 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 to athletics to, to, to politics. I mean, you, you name it. To, uh, to culture, to arts. It, it's something worth listening to. This is a true treasure, WNHH. And we really appreciate your listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Keep on
0: working, open curtains, hate cause they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road. let's camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, Yeah, yeah this is my road. let's camera action, I'm ready to go face them storms, now you gon' face the dawn, you waiting for, I said from night to dawn, I write my wrongs alone, in competition with warnings, ice galore, now I'm running toward my life to finish being a quitter, but little, little by little, they joking, telling some riddles, now I'm in my section, ain't willing to give up, know you getting knocked down, but you gotta get up, I'm never gon' give up, give up, fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, hey. cause this is my run, let's carry